Good morning again. You can say good morning again, it's okay. If you would uh, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to try to... Did you guys see that big, long spider web thing floating over here? I'm going to stay over here today. So, so if I don't walk over here, please don't be offended. It just, I don't want it in my hair, in my face. Ephesians 5. Let's just, I'm going to just read and kind of give some comment as we go. And then today we're going to, we're going to pick up in around verse, um, around verse 6. But let's just start in verse 1. So remember, the, the first half of Ephesians really was, what is gospel truth? Who are you? And, and the second half is now he's calling you to respond after he's told you who you are in the gospel. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Like we said last week, that, that means he's, he's calling you like Christ to give yourself sacrificially in love. That is, that's part of the call of the believer. But sexual morality and all impurity or covetous must not even be named amongst you as is proper amongst saints. And so you ask, okay, why does he immediately jump from imitating God in love to sexual morality? And the reason is because they're opposites, right? So we're called to sacrificial love. Sexual morality is, a, is, is really a covetousness. What can I get to satisfy my own desires from other people? And so they're, they're, they're just opposed to each other. So he's calling you out of that. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving for you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. We're going to stop there. Let's, let's pray for our time. Oh Lord, what an amazing thing that these wonderful truths, uh, every believer is a saint. Every believer is light in the Lord. Uh, every believer is a beloved child. Now you call us to live like that. You call us to be imitators of God, to, to flee um, covetousness, and it's particularly sexual covetousness, and to live in the light. And I just ask right now, the light of the Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would uh, bring so much grace into our hearts and our minds. For the glory of Christ and of His kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What Paul describes here, it's, it's, it's a process that, that I've, I've seen play out in, in many people's lives. It starts where a person gives in to what he calls deceitful words. There was a, a married lady who was very involved in a church that I previously worked in. 
wonderful lady, and for many years, she had a great family, and she had this incredible outreach to immigrants in our community. And then suddenly, she became an empty nester. Her children moved on, and she got quite bored. She started getting to know a man at, that she worked with, at the school that she worked with. And she began to notice how he treated people, in particular her, how kind he was to her. That the questions that he asked her were really good questions and thought-provoking. So she decided one day after work that she go. She had a little time. She'd go for coffee with him, and and their conversation was riveting. It, it was amazing. He she felt this man really understands me. She thinks, well, with my kids leaving, I I need more friends. And after all, he is a colleague. We have so much in common. Not belong before he offers to take her home one day. And as they're riding, he reaches over and he grabs her hand. He tells her he appreciates her friendship. And it's the most important friendship he has. She begins to think, you know, I, I wish I wasn't married. Uh, I... I don't talk to my husband like this. He doesn't make me feel like this. I, I must have married the wrong man. She begins to constantly dream about another life. And at the same time, the Spirit is convicting her. She is uneasy, but she goes forward. She finds herself saying, you know, I've done nothing wrong. That it's, if my husband had just given me more attention, it just attended to me more. The Bible doesn't forbid friendships with, friendships with men. So she backs away from church, her husband, Christian friends, finds herself drifting further away from God, her family, her church community. So what do you do? What do you do when that person is your close friend or your child or, or maybe that person is you? Well, Ephesians 5 talks about that. It tells us that people's words can be, and particularly thoughts, can be very deceptive, giving us wonderful arguments and affirmations, particularly here to give into sexual morality, to give into impurity, greedy, covetous lifestyle. And Paul says if you live in such a way, then you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And his point is, an immoral life and the light of Christ, these two things are opposites. Where you find the one, you don't find the other. Now I need to say this. The person envisioned here is not someone who has had an immoral fault or said something crass, or slipped up and watched something inappropriate. We're all sinful people. But this speaks of someone who has given himself up without repentance to live in the type of sins that he's talking about here. Now, you have to understand that as, as believers, we need to know our culture, to engage it. That's absolutely true. To be able to speak into it. And yet, we must not conform to its expectations and beliefs because we long for its affirmation. 
Most modern arguments to justify some sort of sinful lifestyle that Paul's talking about here, they offer at its chief motivation the acceptance of culture, the affirmation, praise that you have arrived at a real spiritually mature, tolerant position, or the celebration of freedom and self-realization with a slogan like, you know, after everything you've been through, you deserve this. And so, our main idea this morning then is deceptive words will seek to convince you to return to spiritual darkness. In other words, Paul says you've been brought, that's, that's all of chapter 2, you've been brought out of spiritual darkness and there will be deceptive arguments in your mind and from others who are trying to draw you right back into it. So there's a battle going on. And Paul then talks about that. So let's start with this. Deceived with empty words. L look what he says there in your Bible at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. It, when he says empty words, he means words that don't contain truth. That they can be very attractive and appealing and winsome. Saying there, there are, are so many deceptive and empty messages that will always justify your lifestyle. There, there is practically nothing you can do that I could not give you a deceptive and empty argument that why it is justified for you to do it. Your heart will always find an argument to justify your actions and lifestyle. And notice the word there, deception. Do you see that word? It means something that is not true, which claims to be true. And the goal is always to replace in your heart and mind the truths of God with an empty argument justifying whatever behavior your flesh desires. So, okay, Rusty, what, what were the empty arguments that were deceiving Christians in Paul's day? And he gives us a little clue. Look, at, look in your Bibles there. Look what he says, verse 6. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming to the sons of disobedience. Stop there. Now, so it just seems that the deceptive arguments that he's talking about here were saying that there is no judgment by God. Or maybe that, that Christ took the judgment for all people. And therefore, however you choose to live, that's your own personal prerogative. But just know your judgment's been taken. Or how you live reveals nothing about your salvation. They're completely different things. And Paul says, no, no, no. The wrath of God is coming to the sons of disobedience because of these things. Now, two questions there that you need to be thinking of. Because of what things? Well, what's he saying is bringing the wrath of God? And then he says the sons of disobedience. Who, who is that? It's just this. Because of everything that he's just mentioned in verse 3 to 6. Impurity, sexual misconduct, obscene talk, greedy covetousness. Because of these things, he says, because of things come out of our heart, the wrath of God is coming. Okay, so who are the sons of disobedience? It means people 
whose father is disobedience to God. In other words, what speaks into their lives authoritatively is the disobedience of God. Now, Paul described them already, so he's piggybacking on something he's already said. Chapter 2, verse 2, this is what he said, talking about non-believers. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience are not Christians who struggle with sin and sometimes fail, but are non-believers whose lives show that they are not children of God, but children of disobedience. And notice what he says. The wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Now there's a verb here that he uses, a very unique verb in the Greek, in the original language. And what he's saying is, it's absolute certain. So regardless of what arguments you hear that might justify that lifestyle, or say maybe the wrath of God has already come, Jesus has taken it, or say, yes, you've received Christ, now you can go live however you want, it doesn't matter. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Make absolute certain those things are not true. Be not deceived. The wrath of God, the judgment of God, are coming on people whose disobedience is like that. I had a uh, pastor friend, and we were talking about pre-marriage counseling, and he said something really profound. He said, Rusty, even in the church now, every young couple that's engaged, that comes to see me, I presume, and I must always correct, that they are either living together or physical. And he said, and the remarkable thing is that when I suggest that their lifestyle might reveal that they're actually not born-again believers, they always take the deepest offense. And what Paul is saying here is regardless of the arguments that we convince ourselves of, if this is your consistent lifestyle and there's no repentance of it, then know that God's judgment is coming and that you're actually not a believer. Now, look at how Paul closes with this really sobering argument. He says, do not, you, your version, there's two versions here. You can translate this word either way. Do not associate with them or participate with them. Some people have, said, have read this verse and said, ooh, I, I need to close myself in a closet to the world. And if your says associate, you might be thinking, well, how am I supposed to spend time with non-Christians if I can't associate with them? Or how can I bring them to church? Didn't Jesus himself spend time with the lost? And didn't he say he came for sinners? Well, the original language here is, is not necessarily to associate. It's to participate. To participate. Which means he's saying do not be partakers with them in this sin regardless of their deceptive arguments that might say it's okay. Don't do it. Don't participate. Don't get involved in that, that lifestyle. Now, the question then is, okay, how am I to judge what is deceptive, what Paul calls empty truth, and what is true? Verse 8, the answer is, 
where it leads you. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk in the light. Notice something. The gospel always connects what is true and then what to do. Right? So your identity now with a call to walk in a new obedience. And so Paul says earlier to us in chapter 5, walk in love because you're his beloved children. Have nothing to do with sexual morality because you're his saints. And here the third time in chapter 5 he says, don't participate in the sins of the disobedience because you are the light. Your new identity, if you're a believer, is not someone controlled any longer by darkness. Christ is the light and He dwells in you. And therefore, you are light in the Lord. And your calling then is to live as children of the light who have come out of darkness. Okay, Rusty, so how do I judge truth from deceptive and empty words? Just recently, I was talking to a young person who told me this. The Christian ideas on sex and marriage are psychologically repressive and unhealthy. It keeps me from my self-fulfillment and self-realization. And a 23-year-old girl hears that and says, maybe that is true. Maybe my faith and the church are keeping me from true happiness, self-fulfillment, self-realization. So how do you judge? Is that true or deceptive and empty words? And one way that Paul gives here is where is that argument taking you? Where are those words leading you? Is it taking me back towards spiritual darkness that I came out of or towards the light of Christ, towards truth? Can I partake and still be walking in the light of Christ and not quenching His Spirit? Or is it a deception that will return me to the very spiritual darkness that I was in before Christ? How do we think you live this? How do you take this from your head to your heart so it affects in a greater way how you live this week? Just this. You must understand that our culture, we have to understand it. To, to be able to speak into it. Yet on the same token, we must not conform to its expectations and beliefs because we long for its affirmations and approvals. Most Sundays, we, we finish a sermon by saying, how do we think and live this? And, and people have often asked, well, where's that coming from? That's coming from Romans 12, 1 to 2. If you look there in your Bible, if you would mind flipping over to Romans 12 with me. Romans 12. You there? Just give me a hand if you're there. Okay. I like somebody back there waving. I like that. That was good. It's easy for me to see. Okay, Romans 12, 1 to 2. Listen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul's saying something very similar here, isn't he? Than what he said in Ephesians 5. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's stop there. How are we not to be transformed to the world, right? 
How are we not to give in to the type of words and arguments that he's talking about which are deceptive and empty? He gives two ways here. First, Christian living. Present your bodies as holy sacrifices to God. Which means your bodies are to be given to the Lord. If you're a believer, your body is the Lord's. It is not yours. It's His. You've surrendered it when you receive Christ. And how we use our body now is for His glory in the same way you might use your mind. Our, our bodies are now the home. They are the temple to the Holy Spirit. He dwells in your body. And a great way then to overcome the temptations of the flesh is to remember that my body is not my own. It's the Lord's. And the dwelling place of His Spirit. And there will be nothing more painful, a greater loss for me than to grieve His presence in my life, particularly with sexual sins. And so we're constantly saying, my body is yours. My desires are yours. I surrender them to you. And the second thing is this. Christian thinking. Christian thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds are to be constantly transformed by the renewing work of the Word and the Spirit. The Word is alive in the Spirit's hands. What you have in your Scripture is life to the believer in the power of the Holy Spirit. Which means it's effective in your life. Because the Spirit works there. Okay, what does it do? It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews says. The Word reveals to us a true knowledge of ourselves. Our motives, they're brought to light. It reveals the deception and the darkness that might be motivating us. And then it points us to Christ as His saints as His beloved children, for grace and transformation. It is the mirror that we must hold up to our actions, our thoughts, our motivations to judge what is light and truth and what is deception and a road back into darkness. So let me just close with this. At the heart of all spiritual deception, whether it comes from your own mind justifying, or it comes from others in culture, at the heart of all deceptions is a false promise of satisfaction apart from Jesus. Christ is God's portion to satisfy the desires of your heart. Desires for intimacy, Desires for love. Desires for self-fulfillment. All those things come to us, the believer, through Christ. And walking in the light of His Word and Spirit is how we grow and we gain the very satisfactions that deception always promises but never delivers. I'm going to not get caught in that spider web. I'm going to come over here. Please pray with me. Father, thank you so much uh, as we 
begin to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Some of us, Lord, have, have, have really listened to deceptive, empty words, and we are caught in, in uh, closet darkness, which no one sees, and uh, it, it's, we're looking for satisfaction there. And I pray right now that there would be, for the believer, there would be a surrender, a repentance, a turning, Lord, for those things. And, Father, a seeking of Christ to really satisfy us through his word and his spirit. Lord, every believer is light because you dwell in us, and Christ says he is the light of the world. Lord, and there are always arguments from our mind and from culture and friends to draw us back to what it might call reasonable darkness and reasonable sin. And yet those things deliver pain. And I just ask, Lord, I plead with you that our satisfaction would be so great in Christ that there would be no appeal any longer in those things. Our joy and worship and fellowship and communion with Christ would be so rich that those offerings would be seen as darkness and easily moved away from. Lord, be glorified in our bodies and our minds, which are yours in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.